Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by the usual suspects first in the 757 where the sun is hot. The vibes are cool. We have Ricky LeBlue. What are you doing, man? I am not doing the crate challenge like Juju Smith-Schuster, which I just, I don't get it, dude. I don't get it at all. Yeah, I feel like mentally I've been so overtaken by doing all these football previews, previewing every team in the ACC on the radio, podcasts, appearances on other podcasts. I haven't had the mental wherewithal to figure out what the crate challenge is. So I'm hoping Mike McDaniel can explain it to me. Mike, how are you? The crate challenge is really just somebody's dumb shtick. I mean, it doesn't really benefit anything. You know, like the ice bucket challenge was for ALS, so everybody was yes. doing it. It was like it was, you know, it was explanatory. You know, you could be like, "All right, I'm doing this for a good cause. I'm making a donation. I'm dumping ice on myself." Um, this has no explanation to it that I'm aware of. So, if I'm wrong about that, somebody let us know. Yeah. Again, the ice bucket challenge was nice. Uh, it was for a good cause. I found my ice bucket challenge video the other day, actually. Mine uh, is still on Facebook. Yes, as is mine, as is mine. So the Hokie Hangover podcast official stance now, though, don't do the crate challenge. Doesn't seem like a good idea. Seems kind of stupid. Do you know what's not stupid? The fact that football returns. Yes, Virginia Tech football returns on Friday, September 3rd, Lane Stadium, the Tar Heels of North Carolina coming to town as Justin Fuente starts a pivotal what could be final season, depending on how things play out. I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And we will talk about how it's going to go. But first, we need to talk about our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a health care provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, gentlemen, I like to think back to March of 2020 when, quite frankly, shit hit the fan and we know that it has been no cakewalk ever since and all the sporting events were canceled and there was a looming sense of fear, maybe existential dread and depression because a lot of the things that we loved in this world were taken away from us as a result of COVID as if the disease wasn't bad enough. My thought process was always that the light at the end of the tunnel for me would be a full lane stadium, enter Sandman, surrounded by 60,000 of your closest friends. And here we are. 18 months later, and that moment has arrived. Gentlemen, before we get going into the preview of North Carolina itself, do you have any thoughts about the last 18 months, about how things have changed over that period of time, about the spectacle that's coming on Friday? Um, Very hopeful that we don't see any backtracking on behalf of programs and conferences um, in terms of allowing fans in attendance. I think that would be a very, very sad mistake and I'm hoping it doesn't happen, but I'm very much looking forward to the start of the season in the, the sporting events that I've watched and been to thus far that have had fans in attendance. It kind of reminds you of why you love sports in the first place. And, 
I think even if Virginia Tech has a bad season, which is possible, um, I think we're going to enjoy watching people jump in the stands on touchdowns and um, all of the inner Sandman videos that will make their way to Twitter. We'll enjoy watching them because we probably took it for granted a little bit before the shutdowns and before fans weren't allowed in the stadium and not having it for a year sucked. Uh, so having it now this fall will be a lot of fun and um, I'm looking forward to Friday for sure. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It was uh, pretty cool. I mean, the Nebraska, watching Nebraska play wasn't very cool, but watching the game and having college football <laughs> back on TV this weekend was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Nebraska is really, really bad. But um, oh, being man. able to watch, watch the game, see fans in the stands and, um, you know, the spectacle itself in college football is back. Lee Corso is back on game day, which, you know, he's 86 God bless old. Lee Corso. A, a treasure and the fact that he was able to to rejoin the set it really felt like college game day was back um and nebraska playing illinois it was some bad big 10 football but it was on tv i was able to see you know parts of the ucla game um that got out of hand really quick and there was nobody in the stands for that but then again it is in la and they don't really care about football as much as a lot of people want to think they do um they're not usc and then um you know, I watched a little bit of Fresno State over the weekend as well. Um, Fresno State kicked the hell out of UConn, and I, I caught bits and pieces of that. It was just nice to have kind of an appetizer for a huge week one. Um, you know, Tech North Carolina, it's a big deal for us, obviously, as alums of Tech, uh, but it's one of the biggest games of the weekend. Um, you know, the fact that it's in prime time and a lot of expectations around North Carolina, a lot of expectations around Virginia Tech from the standpoint of people want to see if Fuente is able to keep his job or not. So, you know, national media, they're going to have an interest in watching Tech play this year. So having that game on, obviously Clemson, Georgia will be something and uh, Notre Dame plays Florida State Sunday night. So that'll be a game as well. So just some interesting football on this weekend. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a good weekend. It'll be good to see fans back in attendance, that's for sure. Okay, now looking at the Tar Heels here, obviously a behemoth of an opponent coming to town in North Carolina. And it seems like just three short years ago, North Carolina was absolutely in the dumps. And that's true. 2018, the Heels had two wins, Pitt and Western Carolina. Then Mac Brown came to town. It was a hire that a lot of people scoffed at at the time. People laughed at the hiring of Mac Brown. Six and six in the first year, or six and seven, they lost their bowl game. No, they won their bowl game, so seven and six. We're ahead of that. Seven and six in the first season. Then last year in BCS territory, the number three total offense in Power Five college football, the two teams ahead of them made it to the college football playoff. Guys, is this turnaround a Mac Brown thing? Is it an institutional change? Is it some combination of the two. If I'm a football program like, say, Nebraska out there, and you want to know how to get back to relevance as quickly as possible, what have Mac Brown and the Tar Heels shown in their short period of time in Chapel Hill about how it can be done? I think, I think some of it is just the fact that um, Mac Brown has kind of brought some competence back to the to the football program larry fedora 
kind of caught lightning in a bottle. I guess I don't remember exactly what season that was where Carolina won 10 games and um, was one of the best teams in the conference and, and, and ended up playing exceptional football for a good chunk of the season. Uh, but for the most part, Fedora was kind of out of his element in Carolina. And I don't think that um, he was capable. I don't, I, I, he may, I mean, things may change, but I don't think he was capable of leading the program at the time. And while Mac Brown probably has to delegate a lot of stuff because he just doesn't have the energy level that he did a long time ago when he was at Texas and at Carolina the first time, he has definitely put people in position to elevate the program and, re- and restore a level of competence that was lacking um, in, in Chapel Hill. So I think part of it is Mac Brown. Also, another part of it is obviously Sam Howell. Um, if you look at the quarterback play before Sam Howell's arrival, it was terrible. Um, Marquise Williams was a, a pretty good passer. Everything around him was, was pretty bad. But Sam Howell has definitely brought a level of explosiveness to this offense that, frankly, wasn't there for quite some time. Um, so it's probably a mix of both. But as, as one of those guys that was skeptical of the Mac Brown hire, um, you got to give the guy credit for – getting this program turned around both on and off the field um, in terms of wins and recruiting. I, I think it's, it's, I kind of agree with you, Rick. I think it's a little bit of both. Like I look at the North Carolina program under Fedora. I mean, they had some good years. They had the one year with Marquise Williams where they kind of popped off. And I think the expectation when Williams moved on, um, you know, was that they would kind of continue down that track with Trubisky and it just didn't kind of didn't really work out that way. And then Trubisky leaves and it's just not a really good situation for North Carolina. They, they bring in Sam Howell. He comes in, you know, year one was, you know, Sam Howell with uh, Mac Brown and Mac Brown's able to get him to flip. And I think that's really what ignited the turnaround and made the program turn around so quickly. Um, it's, it's a smaller microcosm of the fact that North Carolina has recruited very well over the past few years uh, with Mac Brown. But I think the reason why this rebuild or, you know, reset, because I don't think Carolina was just like an awful program when Brown took it over. I'm sure they were down for a couple of years, um, last few years of Fedora, but they weren't like this awful football program when it was taken over. Um, the, bi- the biggest thing for me was you were able to get Sam Howell in the door and uh, a guy that's going to be one of the first quarterbacks off the board in the NFL draft. When you bring in a talent like that as a signal caller, um, that makes all the difference in the world. And I think that's what really ignited this thing. So yeah, Mac Brown's done a, did a really good job. And um, I'm interested to see how they look this year. Um, they certainly, obviously when you bring back Howell and you bring back a talented offensive line, uh, you know, I, I understand why expectations are high. And then you look at the way the defense played, particularly in the bowl game against Texas A&M in the orange bowl. And it's reasonable to think that North Carolina's defense takes a step forward. It's reasonable to think that the offense could just reboot, but I'm interested to see how quickly that transition happens. Yeah, Mike, and Sam Howell is certainly the known in the room for North Carolina, and it's an important known to have. We see with Virginia Tech that quarterback is more of a question. You have more established players at the skill positions, but yet those questions at the quarterback position, certainly remain and loom. Now, North Carolina, Daz Newsom, Deami Brown, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, all out the door, all professional players. 
The news breaks today that senior Bo Corrales will not be playing. And by the calculation of someone on Twitter here, North Carolina is now missing 5,000 yards from scrimmage and 50 touchdowns from last year's offense as they head into week one. With a team like Carolina in transition at the skill positions, week one is probably the best time to get them. My question for you guys, how much do you think that matters? How much does the Sam Howell factor negate that? I mean, he's good, but like any quarterback, if you don't have productive guys around him, he's not going to be as effective. And this is the matchup where Virginia Tech really has to exploit this. Virginia Tech's secondary is talented. Uh, They're deep at cornerback. Um, This is a chance for Virginia Tech to maybe put a lid on Sam Howell. I don't think you're going to shut North Carolina down. Um, You can certainly contain them, though. And like you mentioned, Andrew, this is the time to do it when they're trying to uh, incorporate these new players into the offense. And they're also – they may not have Coffrey Brown, who is Diami's younger brother. And Coffrey is probably one of the better athletes at that position for North Carolina. And his status is up in the air. And if he does play, it's probably not going to be a ton. But you look at Virginia Tech's roster of cornerbacks and the fact that Jermaine Waller seems to be healthy for the first time in a while. Um, Armani Chapman looks like that he is elevating his game to a little bit. Dorian Strong was obviously a freshman All-American from Pro Football Focus last year. So you've got three reliable cornerbacks that you can rotate in and out to keep fresh. Shamari Connor is a team captain, and and you have to hope that he's going to rebound from his shaky uh, 2020 performance and be a lot better in in this year like he was in 2019. You hope that the pass rush is going to be there to keep Sam Howe contained. I think that Virginia Tech's defense certainly has plenty of questions, but – I'm feeling a lot better about Virginia Tech's defensive ability against Carolina now than I did, say, a month, two months ago uh, when I was just having constant flashbacks of getting run off the field with 50 points. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to put that out of the realm of possibility because as we've seen, anything is possible when it comes to Virginia Tech football, especially the negative side of things. But ultimately, I'm expecting Virginia Tech's defensive efforts to be pretty pretty competent on Friday night. And if they lose this game, I don't think it's going to be because they were bad on the defensive end. They may not have been great, but I don't think it's because they were bad. Yeah, Rick, I, I agree with that. I think the, the biggest thing for me is, is not that North Carolina won't be talented at receiver. I, I think they certainly will. Um, the, the big question for me is how quickly does the offense adapt on the road, right? In, in a really hostile environment because Lane Stadium, it's, they announced today it's going to be a sellout. I try not to overrate home field advantage, but I think this is a little bit different from the standpoint of, you know, Virginia Tech is, is undoubtedly a tough place to play, but Virginia Tech has not had a lot of success at home against premier competition. Bingo. So, that's really, that's really important to note here. But what I will say is that that doesn't make it an easy place to play. And when you're coming off of COVID, not want to overstate it, but you know, the first game in lane stadium in a span of about 18 plus months, 
is going to feel, I think, a little bit more electric. And maybe it's just because we haven't experienced it in a while. But I'm interested to see how North Carolina skill position talent that isn't very experienced, number one, but but number two, you know, some of these guys just really haven't experienced a true college football atmosphere before. You know, you're talking freshmen and sophomores that are going to get into the mix here on Friday night for, for Carolina that really haven't played in front of a real college crowd before. And it'll be interesting to see how they adapt. Now, what's interesting is that, Ricky, like you mentioned, Coppery Brown is not 100%. Um, North Carolina message boards are saying he's questionable. I don't know what his status ultimately will be, but, you know, when you look at the two deep depth chart that they released today, um, North Carolina released, he's not a starter at receiver. He is second in the two deep. Now, do I think he's starting caliber Carolina? Yeah, I do. I mean, we've been talking about him now for a few weeks when we bring up Carolina that, you know, he's still a talented guy. So my guess is that he's not 100%. And if that's the case, look at the top three receivers on this depth chart, right? So junior Emery Simmons, sophomore Josh Downs, who we expect to have a very big role and senior Antoine Green are the top three receivers. Here are their career numbers. Emery Simmons, 19 catches, 273 yards and two touchdowns. He's a junior. Josh Downs is a sophomore. So seven catches, 119 and three touchdowns. Didn't play a lot last year. When he did, he flashed. Um, he's the most talented receiver they'll put on the field on Friday for sure. And then Antoine Green's a senior. He's got 16 catches and 300 yards and three touchdowns over the course of his entire career. So even though he's the veteran out of the three starting receivers, so to speak, he's, he's the upperclassman in the room, he only has 16 catches in his career. So it's not like North Carolina is going out there on Friday and they're putting a bunch of skill position talent at the receiver position on the field that is going to be proven at the very least. Not saying they're not talented. I think they are. It's just they're not proven. Virginia Tech's secondary – they didn't play well last year, and we know a big reason for that was health. They could never really get healthy, and they played better towards the end of the year once they were healthy. But we know what a lot of these guys are capable of. Um, sky's the limit for Dorian Strong. You know, he's young. He had a really good freshman year. This, this sophomore year is big for him. If he doesn't slump and he plays like he did last year, I mean, he's going to put himself on the map as one of the next great defensive backs at Virginia Tech. And we know what Jermaine Waller is capable of when he's healthy. He's an all-ACC caliber player. Armani Chapman. Apparently, has been really good in camp, like Ricky mentioned. If he's able to really show that on the field consistently, I think that's just another feather in the cap. And you got Breon Murray, who's kind of another guy in there who, you know, when he's played, he's played well when he's been thrown into the fire. So he's probably one of the better fourth corners in the conference. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, if you got him as your fourth corner, you feel pretty good about things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at this matchup strictly from the standpoint of Virginia Tech's secondary against what North Carolina is going to be putting on the field on Friday night, I think you feel pretty good about, you know, Virginia Tech's defensive backs in this game. Now, Sam Howell can throw him open still. And he's really talented. And you got to shut him down. And like Ricky mentioned, you're not going to you're not going to totally shut this offense down by any means. Um, their strength is running the football first for as good as Sam Howell is. But, you know, the, the big question for me is how does Sam Howell adapt on the road? Um, he's not going to get rattled. Um, I just, I don't see that happening, but I can see some of these younger receivers not necessarily being on the same page hundred percent of the time. And what does that turn into? Is it turn to turnovers? Is it turn to incomplete passes? That's going to be a big question in this game as well. So here's kind of my thoughts on what we're seeing from North Carolina on that side of the ball. Yes. You lost Michael Carter and Javante Williams, but you bring back all five 
of your starting offensive lineman from 2020. This is 2020 when they had a top 10 rushing attack in the country. And yes, you lost backs number one and number two, but they brought in Ty Chandler from Tennessee, guy who started 27 games. I believe he's top five all time in the yardage rankings up in Knoxville. Where have we heard that before? A solid offensive line with a lot of experience gets an established transfer running back and things can just click right away. Virginia Tech's interior defensive line, no one's calling that the strength of this team right now. So guys like Jordan Williams are going to have to step in, step up, and prove themselves on the fly week one. And then Jamari Connors had some issues in the slot. Can Sam Howell take advantage of that? I mean, we know about the talent they have vertically. I'm, I'm With the caliber of recruits that they get, as has been mentioned, you know, there, there's a ton of potential there. We just haven't seen it on the field yet, right? So that can, the same can be said at the safety position for Virginia Tech, where what are we going to get out of Devin Hunter? Is Sam Howell, is the first 10 scripted play is going to be inside run attack Devin Hunter. I don't know why Mac Brown wouldn't do that right off the bat. So a lot of the un for Virginia tech to remain competitive in this game, especially to have a chance to win in this game, a lot of the questions where there seems to be, you know, just this looming uncertainty surrounding them. And that, that being the defensive line, that being, the assumption that a lot of people make that Dax Hollyfield is going to be a much better player playing at the Mike Backer position than he was on the outside, that Devon Hunter can come in after a year outside of the program and scratch the surface of the potential that people expected out of him all in week one. Now, granted, you have the year two coordinator bonus for Virginia Tech. COVID, hopefully, knock on a thousand pieces of wood, isn't going to be an issue going into this game. The team seems moderately healthy right now. So Virginia Tech has some things going in their favor, but we know just with the information that we have about the quarterback and the offensive line, plus the guy that they're inserting from an SEC program that's had success before, North Carolina's offensive baseline is rather high. And to limit that, it's going to require a fantastic performance on the field of play from some of the more experienced players and the inexperienced players for Virginia Tech. And it's going to require Justin Hamilton to call the best game of his career, his young career as a coordinator defensively. And, you know, there's a reason Carolina's favored in this game because it feels like that's a lot to ask. Um, I'm actually, I don't want to say not worried, but I think Virginia Tech's defensive line will be able to hold their own to an extent. Um, but, counterpoint to that is that you know outside of Amari Barno there, there really isn't a impact player that jumps off the screen on this defensive front so in a way this is a prove it game for a lot of these guys uh, Jordan Williams you're coming from Clemson uh, you're transferring in from a tier one program uh, you're a guy who has become a de facto leader of this team uh, even though you've been around for a few months um, you wanted more playing time. Well, here it is. This is your chance. You're going up against one of the better quarterbacks in the, in the, in the country. You're going up against a very experienced offensive line. Uh, time to get it done. And for Amari Barno as well, I mean, th th this is a game where if you want to justify the hype that has been building around yourself, 
sacking Sam Howell and pressuring Sam Howell into oblivion would be a hell of a way to do it. Um, so there's, there, there are opportunities for Virginia Tech's defensive front here, but I think it's valid to ask questions as to whether or not they can hold their own, but I think they can. I, I, I do think that a lot of North Carolina's success in the rushing game in 2020 was due to those two running backs. I, I, I don't think you can uh, overstate that. And the fact that they were just star-studded on the, on the perimeter as well. So it was really just a, a, an embarrassment of riches over there in Chapel Hill on the offensive side of the ball. And you take those two electric, dynamic backs away, and I'm not sure how productive this offensive line is going to be. And I know Ty Chandler's had some, you know, some, some moderate success in the SEC, but he's not someone that jumps off the page in terms of the stat sheet. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not that good because I've never seen him play. But his, his career stat line doesn't, um, doesn't absolutely jump off the sheet to me. The one thing, the one thing I want to say too is, um, Ricky, to your point about the the two running backs kind of run the show last year, giving North Carolina the opportunity to run the ball really, really well. I agree with that, and I I think the the one thing to note here with North Carolina's offensive line in particular is, yes, they're returning a ton of talent. Yes, they were really good run blocking last year. They were horrible, horrible pass protection horrible in pass protection um this is from 24 7 sports howell was sacks howell over the last two years has been sacked 70 times in 23 games against fbs competition that averages out to a little over three sacks per game he was seventh nationally in 2019 and ninth in 2020 in percentage of pressures leading to sacks um 24 and a half in 19 22.9 in 2020 so those are two stats you don't want to be like particularly high in um what this basically means is that basically every four pressures against Sam Howell results in a sack. Um, 34 sacks given up last year in pass protection. Now, when you have all those playmakers on the outside and you have two dynamic running backs that covers up a lot of ills in pass protection, you can make up for it with big chunk plays. My question is when you're not able, or I mean, I want to say not able, because we don't know, right? These, these are new, these are new players on the outside, but when you have, New playmakers on the outside whose ceiling, I think, is fair to argue. Ceiling is not necessarily as high with the guys they're going to put on the field on Friday. No. Compared to maybe what they put on the field in October. You know, maybe Bo Corrales is back and, and Coppery Brown's healthy. And then you're feeling a little bit different about the overall outlook of this receiving core. But if you're not able to put that kind of talent on the field on Friday, how easy is it going to be to now run between the tackles, right? The story of this game to me is Virginia Tech's front seven, right? That, that's the story of the game for me. Because whether we put it on the defensive line or the linebackers or just the fact that the secondary just simply was not healthy last year, Tech got gashed. They got gashed in the running game. They got gashed in the passing game. They did not have a very good game last year against Sam Howell in North Carolina. They were, look, we were starting Tyler Matheny, a walk-on in the secondary Everybody was, everybody was out due to COVID. It was early in the year. Um, I think that was the second or third week of the, of the season after the, after the year got pushed back. I know it was the, um, the first weekend in October. It, I, I just wonder going into this game, how much of that game last year was kind of fluky weirdness where, look, Virginia Tech was down multiple scores 
on two separate occasions in the game last year. They came storming back from that twice. You guys will remember they were down 21, nothing. They came back. They were down. I believe it was 42 to it was 42, 17. And they came back. Um, I think it was 42, 37 at one point. So tech came back on a couple different occasions. Now I'm not advocating to do that again, because it's very difficult to play from behind. Yeah. But, tech was outscored 21, nothing in the first quarter. Right. And it was very, it was very weird with how the game went. Cause it was almost like that the middle two quarters, particularly uh, the last couple of minutes of the second, basically all the third quarter, Virginia tech looked really, really good. Right. And came kind of storming back. Hendon hooker came in on offense. You guys will remember. And I don't want to dwell yep. too much on last year's game, but my point being the front seven, I think is going to tell the full story because the run fits were not very good on the defensive line or the linebacking core last year. Ashby had a really bad game. Dax playing backer had a really bad game. Defensive line was not very good. This is a prove it game for Jordan Williams in the interior of the defense. It's a prove it game for a Josh Fuga, a Mario Kendricks, a Norrell Pollard. It's a prove it game for those guys. Ricky, you mentioned Amari Barno. It's a prove it game for him too. He's got a lot of hype, justifiably so, had a really good year last year. He, he made a position change in the middle of the pandemic. He didn't really have a fall camp at all. Um, it was a very weird fall camp last year. Summer workouts were barely a thing. And this guy made a position change without really having the technique in a really good year. Now everybody's game planning for him. So how does he look now that he has North Carolina's full attention? That's what I'm watching out for. And then the guy everybody's forgetting about that has definitely shown flashes of being really good that didn't play last year is Taiwan Garbutt. How does he look in his return on the other side of the defensive line? You know, especially with Amari Barno garnering all the attention, how does he look on the other side of the defensive line? Can he create some pressures? If Virginia Tech can create pressure with four in the passing game this in this football game, if they're able to create pressure with four and they're able to drop seven, you know, six, seven guys in coverage, I think if you're a Tech fan, you got to feel pretty good about your chances. Now, it's a huge if, and we haven't seen this defensive line do it before with, with this set of guys, but it'll be really interesting to watch that and just to see how the linebackers look because – a lot of hype about Tisdale too, and how he's looked in the offseason, putting on some weight. And it's a more natural position for Dax Hollyfield, no doubt about it. At, at you know, at Mike, I just, I think the story of this game is in the front seven and Virginia Tech's ability to pressure Sam Howell. I think that's the story of the game. And if you're able to slow down the run enough, I think the defense is going to give Tech a chance to win the game. Yeah, Mike. I mean, and on all the points we've touched on before, experience is certainly worth something. And we look at Virginia Tech's roster on the two deep and you just look at spot number one and this looks to be a solid football team. Now, whether the football team can last throughout the course of a long, grueling college football season where injuries are inevitable remains to be seen and it's going to require some degree of luck. But going into week one, this is a healthy football team. You are giving North Carolina the best shot you're going to give anyone. And the cards are lined up in the right situation there. On Carolina's side, though, Mike, I mean, this is a team that defensively was gashed frequently last year. I mean, they gave up 53 points to Wake Forest. They had to score 59 points to win that football game last year. They, I mean, they, they lost, you know, 31 points to a bad Florida State team, lost that game, gave up 45 to Tech. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I have nightmares of the podcasts and the radio shows where we were analyzing that game because it was like, yep, 
such half a dumpster the, fire. Yeah, half the team <laughs> did about as well as you could possibly expect them to do. If you yeah. score 45 points in a college football game at the power five level, you should win. Not the case in the rare situation of a team with a poor defense, but Sam Howell and four future NFL players surrounding him. It was so hard to kill kill Hamilton and kill Fuente after that game just because nobody was suited up on defense. It was like unbelievable. I mean, nobody, I, I couldn't believe it going into the game. Like, all right, Nyquie Hawkins is playing. He's not even on the two deep, which gives you an idea, right? He's like a third safety or a third nickelback, wherever you want to stick him. And he was starting last year. You had Matheny in the secondary as a walk-on, like I already mentioned. Like it was, and you're going up against Sam Howell. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year. We all knew it. I mean, it was, it's an impossible situation um, for Virginia Tech's defense to be in. Let's talk about Carolina's defense. Not a great unit last year. Middle of the road. They were allowed about 30 points per game in total. They improved as the season went on, but the total number 30 points per game, just about 29.6. Pass defense, 87th in FBS last season. But they bring, at least from the bowl game, And the second to last game, they bring 10 of those 11 starters back. And we know with the moves that North Carolina has been making in recruiting over the course of the last two years, those 2020, those 2021 guys are legitimate depth. They are pushing the guys that may have held those positions in the past. So what kind of jump do you expect to see from a UNC defense here in 2021, where if we're going to give Virginia Tech the benefit of the doubt with the full off season and all that, where is UNC's defense going to be? I think the secondary is going to be a lot better. I think Storm Duck and Tony Grimes and Kyler McMichael give Carolina maybe the most talented cornerback trio in the country. Um, We all know what kind of player Tony Grimes was in terms of his ceiling, given that Tech was pursuing him so much. Kyler McMichael's a former Clemson guy. Storm Duck's been a productive guy in his career. And UNC, Chaz Surratt is gone, and I think that that's – worth noting he was our leading tackler um so for a defense that was pretty bad last year let's just call it what it is they do bring a lot of guys back um but the experience that they had how valuable is that from last year i'm not sure it's all that valuable so i i think it's fair to say that this unit should be a little better uh but I'm not convinced that they're going to be all that good. Now, with that said, I've been pretty vocal about my concerns with this Virginia Tech offense. Um, And that's really where I think the problem lies is that as vulnerable as North Carolina's defense might be, I'm not convinced that Virginia Tech's offense will be able to exploit it. Yeah, Carolina's defense, I mean, we look at it from a statistical standpoint. I mean, they were giving up 5.7 yards per play last year. That was 75th nationally. They were 78th in opponents' points per play, 0.427. That was 78th. Um, Opponent red zone scoring percentage, 86.49. That was 85th nationally. So, I I mean, you look at this, and they were, at best, if you squint really hard, a mediocre defense, right? Now, I think a fair expectation for North Carolina's defense would be similar to how I feel about Virginia Tech's defense. I think a top third um, if you finish in the top third of the ACC in total defense, scoring defense, whatever metric you want to look at, I think that's a reasonable expectation for North Carolina, given what they're returning on that side of the football and the talent that they have coming back. 
Um, do I expect them to be a really, really good defense this year? No. Do I expect them to be competent and, and better than they were last year? Yeah, of course I do. Um, it was a pandemic and they got a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but I don't think they're just going to naturally, you know, be a, a team that was around, you know, somewhere between 70 and 80 in most major statistical categories across the entire FBS and all of a sudden be like a top 15 defense. The national media seems to be projecting it that way. I just don't see it. Um, I, I don't think that happens overnight. But I think the national media has been absolutely in love with Carolina this summer. And I, I, I get that if you're, if you're lazy, you can look at all the returners on defense and say, Oh, they're going to be really good. But as we've mentioned several times now on the pod, it's just, it's not like that their baseline from last year was very high. That's kind of where I'm at. And I look at, I look at this and I'm like, okay, defense returns 10 out of 11 starters. Yes. That's a good thing. And yes, it's reasonable to expect that they'll be better this year than they were during a pandemic. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, Sam Howell's the best, you know, one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country He's the best quarterback in the ACC. Um, so it's fair to expect the offense to be able to click. And then you look at it on paper, you're like, all right, they're returning the entire offensive line. That's a good thing, right? Well, yeah, kind of. They're, they're good running the football, but how good are they in pass protection? I mean, I, I read you guys the stats. They're not very good in pass protection. I don't think that just changes overnight either. So, I mean, th- this team is not without questions. Are they talented? Of course they are. Yes, they, they got talent all over the field. They're not without questions, though, and they have to replace a lot, a lot on the offensive side of the ball. And it's just, I don't think we can just blanket, you know, blanket, just throw a statement out there saying, yeah, they're, they're definitely like the, the seventh or eighth or 10th, you know, I know they're 10th going in this game, but you know, some people had them ranked higher, like the 10th best team in the country coming into this game. I just don't see it. I, I, I see Sam Howell being really good. I see their ceiling certainly being really high. I think they could absolutely be win the coastal. I think them being the favorite is reasonable. Um, and, and they got a lot of talent and this, this is absolutely a nine or 10 win team. I think at its best. Now the question is, do, do we get their best on Friday? Right. And flipping over to the Virginia tech side offensively, because I know that's kind of how we're transitioning here. Like Virginia tech's offense situationally with play calling under Brad Cornelson, no secret. It's been an issue, right? There's no secret. But when you look at what Brad Cornelson offenses have been able to do, I believe it's, it's four out of the five years. Um, and, and don't quote me on this guy might be, it, it might be wrong. I, I think it was four out of the five years um, that they've averaged at least 30 points per game. I think there's only one year that they didn't. So like this offense scores some points right now, do they have it all together in this opener with Braxton Burmeister, new quarterback with the right side of the offensive line, you know, you're starting a, a freshman at right guard. Uh, Silas Janzi has had some trials and tribulations at right tackle. Does that expose itself against North Carolina defensive line? That should be pretty decent. Like those are the questions to ask on the offensive side of the ball for tech um, skill position talent. Sure. There, there's returning veteran talent on the offense. Can it manifest itself for four quarters against this North Carolina defense? It's average at best. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And, and that is certainly a question going into the game on Friday. Yeah, and offensively, what Braxton Burmeister are we going to see? At, at his best last year, he looked like a halfway decent quarterback. He looked like a quarterback that we saw could lead Virginia Tech to victory. But at his worst, which sometimes also came in victories, 
the play was sloppy. It was much more run heavy. He had problems getting the ball deeper downfield. You didn't see a lot of deep balls from Braxton Burmeister. I feel like the deep ball is a big, I'm not saying that the deep ball is the be all end all in football. We had Ryan Willis who could throw a hell of a deep ball and the team wasn't very good with him. <laughs> but that being said, I mean, there's talent on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just saying this because we're giving the same credit to Virginia Tech that the full off season will help them improve. Returning guys tend to get better. They have that and they have solid football players, gentlemen, very solid recruits from the class of 2020 and the class of 2021 that never truly got the full college football experience, the full shot. It's a tough task to handle for Virginia Tech offensively. So I'll ask you both, who is the offensive side of the – who is the player on the offensive side of the ball that is the key to the game for Virginia Tech? Who has to step up in a big way? I mean, it's got to be Braxton Burmeister. This, this needs to be his coming out party. Um, I've obviously been very critical of Braxton throughout his career because I don't think he's been very good. Um, but he's been given the starting job now um, almost by default, considering the quarterbacks in the room in Blacksburg. Um, we've heard a lot about his leadership, his growth as a, as a, a team leader and as uh, someone who people can rely on and count on on the field. It's time to see it. Uh, this is going to be – not the best defense that he plays all season, but this is a really good test for someone who is assuming the starting role um, without question. There is no question that he's the starting quarterback and that he's the best quarterback on the roster. It's time for him to show us what he can do. It's time to show us why he transferred to Virginia tech. And I really hope we see it. I'm I, this would be the perfect time for it. Um, that you want to talk about a moment that tech fans would remember if Braxton Burmeister comes out and plays exceptionally well against Carolina and the fans return to lane stadium against a top 10 North Carolina team granted preseason rankings, but a top 10 Tar Heel team, that's a moment right there. That's how you make moments and moments oftentimes can be um, ridden for the, for a good chunk of the season. And there would be no better way to create momentum for this, this program, uh, this team in particular, for Braxton Burmeister to go, to go and ball out against Carolina on Friday. Yeah, Rick, you talk about it being a prove-it game for some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball like we were talking about. It's a prove-it game for Braxton Burmeister, too. And this is an opportunity, like you mentioned, for Burmeister to not only set the tone and set the table for the rest of the season um, by making a statement in week one against a preseason top 10 opponent, um, but this is an opportunity to kind of change the narrative a little bit, too. Um, you look at, you know, how he played over the last two games of the year last year against Clemson and UVA. He was good, um, completed almost 74 percent of his passes at 340 passing yards, didn't turn the football over. He was good the last two games. Now, is he able to do that against a Carolina team that, like you mentioned, Rick, will not be the best defense for Virginia Tech sees all season? That remains to be seen. But he has an opportunity to change the narrative a little bit. Um, on his tenure at Virginia Tech. And I think, you know, there, 
every season's different, right? So I, I don't want to sit here and say, okay, you know, last two games last year, now it's all this carryover of momentum. That's not what I mean. But he's able to change the narrative a little bit saying, okay, you know, the guy that we saw last two games last year, he was a more healthy version of Burmeister with guys around him who were healthy and not in the COVID protocol. And team was, you know, the team was getting their feet under them a little bit. You can kind of create that narrative now if you have a really strong game one on offense. And I, I think Burmeister has an opportunity to, you know, really surprise some people with his play if he's able to go out there on Friday and, you know, do what a lot of people are thinking he's capable of. And conversely, you know, prove a lot of doubters wrong because I think the fan base is pretty split 50-50 and I certainly have no idea what we're going to see out of him. So it'll be interested to see how he plays. Yeah, for me, I'm just curious to see the play from Caden Moore and Silas Tancy. Pronunciation. Yeah, like true freshman at right guard. I, that's 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 scary. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this is a guy that we were talking about the, the plethora of permutations that we could see on the offensive line he wasn't necessarily included in a lot of those conversations. How is he going to step up? I trust Vance Vice's judgment. I have enough. <laughs> I've seen enough of Vance Vice to know that he tends to make yeah. the right decision given the circumstances. But that being said, it's a big game to step into your first ever college start, your first ever college appearance, you know, at home in front of 60,000 people. Like it's a very talented North Carolina team. How does he do? And on the other end, Mike mentioned it before, Silas, when we saw him at right tackle in the past, it was not good. The false starts were a problem. Just the general play was a problem. It's been a few years. Has he improved? I want to see it because, you know, without protection, this thing could get out of hand in a hurry. But, gentlemen, do you have any more keys to the game? We got to get into our ACC picks real quick. Turnovers. Don't turn the don't turn the ball over. Can't give away points on special teams. That includes field goals. Tech's going to need every point they can get out of this. Yeah, and uh, Justin Puente uh, showed the team today. He mentioned in his press conference. He yeah. showed the team highlights of that Nebraska game over the weekend and some of the mistakes that were made, like that punt return that kind of got fumbled out of the end zone. They probably shouldn't have fielded in the first place. And like the fumble Nebraska had before halftime that Illinois ran back for a touchdown. Like he showed that to the team to show, hey, results are magnified like these types of mistakes are magnified in these big games and can lead to results that you're not looking for so definitely turning the ball over no stupid mistakes um don't be fielding punts to kill field position don't be doing anything like that because it's going to be hard enough to get up and down the field um you know maybe due to the unc defense or maybe just due to offensive ineffectiveness at times so you don't want to give away field position but you know it's not necessary yeah, for me, Devin Hunter, Jordan Williams. Devin Hunter, what kind of player are you coming out the situation you had last year? Sam Howell, as I mentioned before, I firmly believe Mac Brown is going to target the deep ball very early in the game, see what we get out of Devin Hunter. Can he show up? And on the other side, Jordan Williams, you are the stopgap on a very young defensive line. You're a leader vocally. Can your play back it up in week one? You've been on the big stage with Clemson before. We need to see it out of you. But, gentlemen, Without further ado, let's get into our ACC picks. We started off on Thursday night, 7.30 on the ACC Network, where North Carolina State, the Wolfpack, hosts South Florida, NC State, an 18-point favorite in that contest. Mike? Yeah, I like NC State here. Um, they're more talented. Devin Leary's back. He's healthy. Uh, they're a very high-ceiling team in the Atlantic. 
really good chance to finish second in that division, I think. Um, Leary's got to stay healthy, though. So, yeah, South Florida shouldn't be too much of a test in week, in week one. I think they have a good opportunity here. I'm right with you on that one, Mike. I'm taking NC State. Ricky, what about you? When I saw the line at 18, I kind of quivered a little bit because that's a big line in week one. But then I remembered how bad South Florida has been for the last few years. Um, and like Mike mentioned, NC State is a team with a lot of upside. Sucks that they have to deal with Clemson in their division. So, But I'll take the Wolfpack on this one with the, uh, against the points. All right, we're sticking to Friday now where Duke travels to UNC Charlotte as six-and-a-half-point favorites. Mike? I think Duke wins. I'm not sure they cover, though, as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I I am not very high on this Duke team at all. And um, Charlotte under Will Healy, they <laughs> they play up to, you know, opponents from the Power Five. They seem to kind of get it together. I mean, Duke, in theory, in theory, is more talented. Um, I could certainly see Charlotte pulling off the upset, but I think I'm going to go safe here and say Duke wins, but I'm not sure they cover. All right, Ricky, what do you think? Uh, This is the beginning of Duke's awful 2021 season, Charlotte with the upset at home. All right, I'm going to go with Duke on this one. I think that uh, Mateo Durant will have just enough firepower in that running game to uh, win and win by more than a touchdown for Duke. But hey, yeah, Rick. We got a bit, we got a big starting off hot boys. Oh my God. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Uh, Wake Forest 31 point favorites at home against a team that we have seen in the past is capable of winning games where they're massive underdogs. ODU. Mike. ODU is in a year one situation and um, a Wake Forest is, they can score some points. They, they got a lot of talent returning Christian Beal Smith and, uh, Roberson on the outside and Sam Hartman had a good year last year. It's a wake wake by a ton. They they could cover 31. I I'll take him to cover. What the hell? I'll take him to cover 31. That's a lot, but I'll take him. I ain't picking against my boy Chase Muma, at least not in week one. I'll go with Wake Forest here. Ricky, what do you think? Old Dominion will cover that spread. They haven't played football in two years. Uh Ricky Rainey has been basically grooming these guys for a very, very long time. Um, I do not think Old Dominion wins this game, but I do not think they'll get embarrassed on the field. So I'll take uh, the Monarchs to cover that spread. All right. We have a massive slate today, so we're not going to pick the spreads on these FCS matchups. So sorry, Colgate and William and Mary, you don't get the time of day on my podcast today. Uh, but one team that will get the time of day on my podcast is the defending national champions, University of Alabama. 18 and a half point favorites, neutral site, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, 3.30 on ABC against the U. It's a pretty big spread. Mike's high on Miami, I know, but of course, it's Alabama. Mike, I'm really curious to hear from you. Where are you going yeah, with this? Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. I, I think Miami will be good. I don't think they're going to be competitive in this game, though. <laughs> like, let's not. Come on now. No. Um, 18 and a half point spread. <laughs> it's 18 I know, and a half that's interesting. Spread. I'm I say I probably won't touch this now, but um, Saturday I'll probably bet it. I <laughs> just can't help yourself, can you? Yeah. I, no, it's just, you know, you get, you get that itch. Um, 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so no, seriously, I probably won't bet this game, but Alabama, I, I think if you're going to be on one side or the other, I think you take Alabama to cover here just because I'm not 100% sure what De'Ara King's health is. Like, I don't know if he's fully 100% yet, and Alabama's going to be good. They're replacing a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's just Alabama wins comfortably. I, I don't know if they cover or not. I guess they, I guess they do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Miami will be a good football team. They still got questions on the defensive side of the ball with some of the guys they're replacing. It's hard to pick against Alabama. I'm going with them. The U is back to being mid. Give me Bama to cover. (laughs) Back to being mid. (laughs) All right, here's a fun one. Pittsburgh hosts UMass. UMass, sure to be one of the worst teams in power, not power five, FBS football this year. 38-point favorites. Pittsburgh. At home, what do you got? I'll take UMass to cover, and they might not even score a point. I, I just don't see Pitt scoring 38 points. Well, they scored 45 against Virginia Tech last year and bring back virtually the entire <laughs> offense. They, they, I'm going to go with they Pitt. Did. Ricky? Yeah, um, I, I, I guess I have this, like, irrational hatred for UMass after Andrew Ford left, and I, and I like <laughs> – Back then, I was secretly hoping that Andrew Ford would be the answer. Uh, but no, Pitt, Pitt will cover that spread. Um, I UMass seems to be really, really bad this year. All right, I think this one's particularly fun. Dino Babers <laughs> and the Syracuse Orange go on the road to play Ohio oh. University, where they are one-and-a-half-point favorites. You can catch the game on CBS Sportsnet. I'm just, you're interested. <laughs> this is like a degenerate 7 p.m. special right before you flip over to Georgia and Clemson. Um, I'm gonna, I'll be watching. Yeah, I mean, it'll be on. I might bet this, actually. I, uh, I like Syracuse. Ohio, this is one of the few games Syracuse is going to win this year, I think. Ohio is a team that is re- replacing Frank Zolich. He retired like a month ago. That's a really tough situation for a team to be in. Um, Syracuse is atrocious, though, and they're on the road. So Ohio could definitely win this game, but I'm going to, I'm going to take Syracuse just because I think that's a little bit too much to ask for. And I think that they'll have enough talent in them on the orange side to, to pull through. So I'm going to take Syracuse. Ricky, what do you think? I'm still pondering this. I'm rolling with my boy Dino. I, I, I love the guy too much. He's got to win this game. Come on, Dino. You know, the more we talk about it, the more I contemplate just getting in my car on Saturday morning and driving up to Athens, Ohio to uh, catch this one. But I think that the atmosphere is going to be electric at Peden Stadium in Athens, Ohio. However, I'll, I'll just go with the conference supremacist theory on this and say that Syracuse can't lose. Just think about the absurdity of that statement. He's going to be two and a half hours away from Charlotte where he can go see Clemson and Georgia, one of the games of the year at least one of the games in September at the very least, right? And yes. instead he's like, you know what? Athens, Ohio sounds good. Syracuse and Ohio. And check that right in my face. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, Probably I'm, easier to get tickets. That's for sure. Yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> almost certainly easier to get tickets. But hey, let's talk about that Clemson-Georgia game. Number five, Georgia. Number three, Clemson. ABC, primetime, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Clemson a three-point favorite in the contest. We know Trevor Lawrence is gone. A lot of other guys are gone. It's going to be a defense-heavy Clemson team with a big test in week one. Who do you got? So I do a betting podcast with with, um, Sons of Saturday. It's called Locks of Saturday. And one of the things I was discussing with Georgia is I think Georgia's the best team in the SEC, but they were not my pick to win the SEC because I don't trust Kirby Smart not to get in his own way. He seems to always shoot himself in the foot. 
which is why I'm picking Clemson to win this game. I think Georgia's more talented than Clemson. They basically have everybody returning on both sides of the football. But I don't trust Kirby Smart in a big game not to shoot himself in the foot at least one or two times. And this is the opener, and I think some of his players will shoot themselves in the foot one or two times. I'm taking Clemson here in a very close game, but I could see it going either direction. Rick? Not going to bet against Dabo. Not doing it. Give me, no, that, that's give me the I'm Tigers. Yeah, go with the better coach. We're going to learn a lot about Clemson here in week one because there are a lot of unknowns at play. But what I saw out of G- DJU, and that's what I will forever call him because his last name Uyangalale. is so There it is. DJU. I love my Hawaiian players. <laughs> He's not even Hawaiian, is he? Regardless, I'm going to go with Clemson in this game. Uh, hard to bet against Dabba, but we're going to learn a lot about Clemson. So I'm, I'm actually very excited. It's a good thing I have a three TV set up in my house so I can have – Syracuse and Ohio on the big TV and then Clemson, Georgia on the small one in the corner. Yes. And enjoy uh, this game. Enjoy this game for what it is. It has actually zero playoff implications. It's the opener. Like, if both teams are good the rest of the year, they'll get in. Like, it'll be fine. Don't overstate it. Quick side note, very uh, salty still that Belk is not sponsoring all of the Charlotte games, whether it be the bowl or the opener. Oh, yeah. I love me some Duke's Mayo, but Belk is way cooler. Yeah, I agree. All right, last last couple ones we have here. Let's go speed round. Georgia Tech minus 18 against Northern Illinois at home. Uh, give me Georgia Tech to win cover. I got Georgia Tech, Rick. Northern Illinois. Notre Dame minus seven and a half at Florida State. Give me Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame. Yep. Absolutely. No, no way I bet against Notre Dame in this game. Last one before we get to the big one, Louisville plus 10 and a half at Ole Miss. Give me Ole Miss. I got Louisville to cover. I think Louisville's a surprise team in the Atlantic. I'll take Louisville. All right. And now, Friday night, 6 p.m. Lane Stadium, Virginia Tech, five and a half point underdogs. Who do you got with the spread? Who do you got to win? I'm going Virginia Tech 27, North Carolina 24. I think Virginia Tech pulls off an upset here. I, I would not have said this a month ago, but North Carolina's – You didn't even say a, this last week. I, I know. It's just <laughs> North Carolina's got – you're right. I mean, it's got Blacksburg right. syndrome. <laughs> you're right. Um, that, that could be some of it too. I just my, – my brain says pick Carolina because they have Sam Howell and the better quarterback and, and you know, recruiting and all that. But my gut just – my gut says Tech's going to pull this off, and North Carolina's got some injuries now, and the the stars are kind of aligning, at least in the pregame, in my mind, with some of the talent that they lost on the outside. I think it's going to be within a touchdown either way. I think the Hokies pull it off at home. Close game. All right, I'm going to go with the opposite. After reading the entire North Carolina scouting report that I found, I was kind of feeling Tech, but unfortunately I'm going to go with a multi – Multi-touchdown win by UNC. I'm sorry. I think that Tech can keep it close in the beginning. I think North Carolina wins by 10 points or more. So before UVA won in uh, 2018 against, um, excuse me, 2019 against Virginia Tech, the, the rule was you bet Tech against UVA every year, right? Just because you've seen it all the time and it, it, you know it's going to happen. Well, it kind of goes the same with Virginia Tech in big games. Virginia Tech needs to win a big game before I'm going to bet them to win. So 
Uh, give me Carolina. I do think that this game is relatively close in the sense that it'll be seven to 14 points. I, I don't think North Carolina blows them off the field, but I, I can't bet on Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech to win a big game like this until they do it. Been burned right. too many times. So we do have a Virginia Tech pick to win on the board. Mike McDaniel with a 27-24 VT win. I certainly hope it happens. And just to go through all the things here, rate reviews. Bet the under. Bet the under. Bet the under. Apparently, that's what they're saying. Uh, that's what Mike's if, saying. If you're in town, <laughs> yeah. if you're in town, for the game lot doesn't open up until 4 p.m Boo. tailgating time is going and that's just the main lot right outside of lane stadium tailgating time is going to be limited if you're looking for something to do me and mike are going to be live on radio from hokey house downstairs from 4 to 5 15 hokey house pregame show come there come say hi we would love to have you anything else gentlemen before season starts i guess uh, don't lose too much money on DraftKings or BetMGM or Barstool Sportsbook or whatever the hell y'all DGens are betting on. Try and uh, try and keep it kosher. Yeah, pace yourself. Rate, review, subscribe. Also, <laughs> stay with us all year. Like, hang with us here. Two pods coming next week. Going yeah, back no, to our normal schedule. Two yep. pod season is back, baby. That's what it's yep. all about. Can We're we like, make a hashtag? Two pod season. Two pod season yes, is sir. indeed back i'm excited for it you're excited for it and we're excited for friday we'll break it all down once it happens but until then go hokies